0: Hi, this is Shlomi Ron, CEO of the Visual Storytelling Institute and host of the Visual Storytelling Today Show. Thanks for stopping by. The show is designed for you, the marketer or entrepreneur who may be struggling to rise above the communication noise and looking for more effective ways to connect better with audiences through the exciting world of visual storytelling. The show is about introducing you to inspiring visual storytellers from diverse industries that bring fresh perspective on how to capture attention, build trust, emotional empathy, and last but not least, drive business results. We cover all aspects of visual stories, from images, videos, infographics, live sketching, to AR and VR. The focus is about the craft of how to create authentic brand stories that support really empowering brand narratives. As you may know, at the end of the day, people don't care about product features. They connect with your story only when it emotionally mirrors their problem the show is produced by the visual storytelling institute the primary think tank that brings the gospel of visual storytelling from the world of art into marketing learn more about our visual storytelling training production and consulting programs on visualstorytale.com enjoy the show today uh, the topic is going to be how to tell visual stories like a media company as you all know you know in recent years uh, content marketing has started to uh, become a very popular a marketing discipline with the major brands like Marriott's and others uh, bringing their entire media operation in-house and in essence, uh, operating like a media uh, powerhouse. So I I just figured, you know, since uh, our audience is comprised of entrepreneurs and marketers that basically would like to uh, get better in visual storytelling, you know, why not ask a real media company how they do it? So that's why I'm so excited to uh, have uh, Stephanie Paterik. She's executive editor at Adweek to talk a little bit about uh, how she uh, put together her visual storytelling studio and her journey uh, along the way. So with that, uh, welcome to the show, Stephanie.
1: Shlomi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome.
0: So before we dig deeper into the wonders of uh, visual storytelling in Adweek, Maybe you kind of uh, frame the conversation a little bit and talk about a little bit about your journey, how you started.
1: Of course, I, I feel obligated to admit to you and your guests up front that I am not, I don't consider myself a visual journalist. So I'm a word person. Um, I came to the industry as a writer, um, but I've since worked with and managed a lot of visual people. So I can speak to it from that level. Um, my backstory is I, I started as a newspaper reporter. And I covered, um, I covered the business of tourism, retail, and gaming. So at casinos um, for the Wall Street Journal's bureau out in L.A. for the Arizona Republic. Uh, mm-hmm. I worked as a managing editor for Phoenix Magazine, and then in my my late twenties, um, I kind of had a, a radical career change. My husband, who's also a journalist, mm-hmm. uh, and also from Phoenix, we're both from there originally. We decided to move to New York, and yeah. We moved in January of, um, let's see, of 2009, which if you go back in time, you might remember that's when the economy was completely tanking, <laughs> and it wasn't the easiest time to pick up and move to a new city uh, and, and, and find work, and so very quickly, um, I, I kind of dove into a creative life. And I ended up uh, becoming an MFA graduate student at the New School studying poetry um, and had a very like bohemian lifestyle. I was, you know, like writing poetry all all day, in class all night, you know, going to poetry readings late at night at bars around the city um, and and just immersing myself in this creative world. Right. Um, But, you know, poets got to eat got to make money. And so I also was doing a lot of freelancing on the side and, and built up uh, what became a very successful freelance business. And long story short, Adweek was one of my clients. Um, and at one point they came to me with a project. It was their chief content officer at the time. Yeah. Said, look, we, we really want to build up the digital side of the newsroom. And I need someone kind of on the ground who can help me do that day to day. So I came on board for what was supposed to be a two month project Uh and five years later, (laughs) five years actually this month, um, I'm still, I'm still here. And so my original remit was to sort of, yeah, build up our digital storytelling. And I oversaw a small but sort of growing team of journalists. Um, who included web editors and web artists, so sort of word people and art people working together to make digital stories, and that's how that's how it began.
0: That, that's amazing. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because I did some research uh, before uh, the show, and I kind of look up uh, when was the first time content marketing was actually used, and it's actually back in 1996, mm-hmm. and it was a. Uh, in a newspaper conference of all places so which is almost logical right because we kind of borrowed from you know the newspaper industry brought it to the marketing industry and now we kind of going back again so it's kind of an interesting journey
1: i love that so the the phrase content marketing originated with yeah. the newspaper because i i remember back in the day when it was called advertorial or you know it sort of had this yeah. negative connotation and that's exactly. completely changed you know, yeah. in, the, in the last 10 years. Um, and it's become such such you know, high quality and, and very respected. So it's been neat to, to chart that change.
0: Yeah, yeah. So obviously content marketing is really the larger umbrella of the, the discipline of the telling stories and visual storytelling is a subset in this world. So one of the things I like to do with my guests is ask them since visual storytelling when I started was primarily referred to as graphic design, photography, filmmaking, was not really uh, anchored in a marketing or business context. So I'm kind of wondering, how would you define visual storytelling from your perspective? For me,
1: it's really storytelling that engages the senses. Mm -hmm. It's It's a sensory form of storytelling. And I say that because again, as a as a writer, um, when I hear storytelling, I tend to go to language. You know, it's like yep. telling a story through language. For me, visual storytelling is adding in the senses. So first sight, right? But then off, you know, if you're working with video, yep. you have sound. Um, And then even with, you know, the sort of um, explosion of or the popularity of experiential marketing, you can add in touch as well. So, um, yeah, I love and I actually really love the word multimedia storytelling, too, because I think it kind of brings all those things together.
0: Yeah, I like it a lot, especially when you talk about the word, because I think when you read books, a lot of people uh, refer to visual storytelling from the mental uh, perspective where you kind of bring to life a. scenes that you read, and in essence, create visual stories in your mind, because obviously my interpretation is going to be different from, you know, yours or other people, but because it's interplay between your past experiences and what you're reading at this point. So that's kind of interesting uh, aspect of visual storytelling as well.
1: I love that. And that's such a, I mean, that's such a great point about all art, right? It's this, it's this, um, it's not a one-way communication, it's two ways. So what is the artist or the storyteller bringing? But then what is that, you know, viewer or reader bringing? Yeah. And that's why every story we tell, I think, is uh, received in as many different ways as the number of people who who read it,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah, so you talked a little bit about, uh in your journey, uh, how you kind of created the, the visual newsroom. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about, say, uh, what is it about, how it came into fruition?
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, I mentioned, you know, we, we sort of started with the goal of just building up a digital team. And we did that with some success. And then realized that, um, so we, this is around 2017, mm-hmm. we had a print team and a digital team and they were separate. So there was a group of artists and editors who were working on the weekly print magazine. There was a group of artists and editors working on um, you know, our, our digital stories, and there wasn't a lot of contact between the two. And I began to see that as a real gap in, in our ability to tell stories and our ability to serve readers. For example, we'd have a photo shoot for the cover with you know, some amazing celebrity, but we wouldn't you know, capture anything for social media. Um, for it. You know, we're thinking about it in a very print way and vice versa. Right. So, um, so at one point, so we decided that year to actually reorganize our newsroom and create what we call um, the visual, uh, the visual newsroom, or we call it the VNR (laughs) kind of uh, internally here. And with that, we basically put any, anyone who is an artist, Mm -hmm. you know, within, with anyone who's a visual, visual or audio person, we put them together in one team. So now print specialists, were are working alongside digital specialists, we're working alongside video, podcast specialists, they are all together. And they've been going strong for three years. Um, it's, an, it's an eight person team. And we, we invested by, by, by expanding the team. So we, uh, we added new members, particularly on the video side. We built a studio, so that was new. You know once they got together, they very quickly told us, "Hey, we have this laundry list of equipment and <laughs> you know space needs
0: toys right <laughs> say that again toys wish list
1: <laughs> yes, exactly they yes they 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 want toys, and we give them to them because they they do amazing things with it. It's worth the investment yeah,
0: sure.
1: um and uh, and they uh, they they cross train each other, so I think that's been. A really fantastic part of it is that, um, yeah, our, our classic print journalists are now, you know, making turning our covers into gifts, <laughs> and um, and our, our web artists are learning how to film and edit video. So it's been it's been a really uh, fantastic change for our company. And I hope for our readers.
0: So if I kind of uh, wear the marketer hat and uh, try to maybe create a, a newsroom uh, for my company. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the process is the printed articles is the first initiative to create content and then you repurpose it into a video to a podcast. What is the kind of a chain reaction?
1: (laughs) That's a great question. Um, You know, we, we really, before this change, we were print first. So, um, you know, we would think through, say, a cover story for the magazine in terms of print. You know, what's the headline that makes sense for print? What's the layout that makes sense for print? Yeah. And then on Friday night, you know, the print story would be handed off to the web team, and they would have a couple of hours to figure out how to visualize it for right. digital, right? Yeah. Now we are um, digital first. So something is kind of a mantra. We're digital first. And yeah. so, yeah, so we created, um, we have a features meeting. That again, you know, everyone from all platforms are a part of. And so from the very beginning, before that story has been written, before the photo shoot has happened, we're thinking through how it's going to play out on every channel, including social. So we kind of, we, we were thinking across all platforms from the get-go mm-hmm. and we actually, um, we actually lay it out. We design it uh, on the digital page first and then kind of convert it to in copy for print so a change in process i think has helped a change in thinking
0: right no that's that's amazing especially these days you know with so many channels to distribute your stories so it only makes sense to start with digital yes <laughs> yes one aspect for a uh, little storytelling that i'm sure you are coming across uh, every day is uh, the need to address uh, emotions and how do you go about uh, using a, the right emotions in your stories? Do you do a, in advanced research on your audience to know what their top emotions that might work or it's story specific?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I mean, for me, where, where my mind goes to that, um, how do we tap into emotion when we are telling business stories is, Making sure that we are writing about people, mm-hmm. and I think that that can be a danger um, in B 2 B media in particular, right? Because we're we're getting into the nitty gritty of topics. We're writing about things that, on the surface, might seem dry, like programmatic and ad tech. Yeah. And so I'm always thinking about how to humanize that and who are the people behind it. One example is we recently um, our, our our programmatic editor wrote a story about how Google um, is planning to get rid of third-party cookies. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a big story, big news, that's gonna have a lot of implication in the entire marketing industry. And after his story came out, he was telling me that, you know, when this news came out, his phone started blowing up from all of these people who work in ad tech, yeah. who were pulling their hair out, saying, oh my gosh, it's, it's all over. You know, the game yeah. is over, the industry's over. And I said, why don't you follow that up with the with the existential crisis story? You know, ad tech is having an existential crisis, and just talk to people about you know how they think this is going to play out, how it's going to affect their industry and their jobs. And um, that story came out just recently and and was was very popular. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm always thinking about how to humanize things.
0: And, and when you talk about humanizing, obviously part of the, of this is really including also you know. The bad, not just the good stuff, just to kind of create failures, imperfections, vulnerabilities. Is this something in your, uh, you try to pay attention to this?
1: Absolutely. I, I love that you brought this up. I, I actually, for years, have lobbied to create a vertical on our site called Failure. Uh, <laughs> no one has, ta- it hasn't been, no one's taken me up on this. <laughs> but, but I personally would love to just, re- I could read story after story about how people fail up. You know, I think it's such an interesting topic. Um, I'll be honest, it's hard in this industry because we're often talking to marketers. We're talking to people whose entire job and whose entire specialty is to kind of present things the way that they want to. And um, people can be really reluctant to kind of, uh, you know, show what I I think of as the bruise on the apple. You know, what's the thing that's not going well or what was the struggle um, but it's, so it's not an easy thing, um, uh, as marketing journalists to get to, but again, I think r- relationships is a big part of it and establishing trust with our sources and making people feel safe and sharing those stories is important.
0: Yeah, no, love it. So one thing that, uh, actually it's, it's coming from a uh, from my newsletter that I published uh, this morning, <laughs> got a lot of reactions. So I'm kind of curious to know what you're thinking about. So obviously, I'm not talking about paid media now, strictly organic, but when you publish content and obviously you're looking for a high readership, how do you balance uh, the need to optimize the content so algorithm will actually see it versus maintaining a sense of creativity and innovation? Because yes.
1: And... Cool.
0: This is like two different things.
1: <laughs> yeah, and when you say algorithm, are you speaking in terms of SEO?
0: SEO it could be out uh, the Google algorithms, but at the same time, yeah. it could be social media algorithm because you got to do optimization there as well.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is this is definitely something that we have um, dealt with, like like all other media companies, particularly over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what we see is that our the places that are driving our readers to our site yeah. keep changing. So, you know, two years ago, half of our site traffic was coming from Facebook, and mm-hmm. so we put a ton of emphasis on um, stories that would resonate on Facebook. And then they changed their algorithm.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, we saw we saw that decline very quickly. And um, sorry, my I'm realizing my computer just made it made a noise um anyway i'll pick back it up slack right <laughs> yes it is slack you know what
0: yeah
1: i'm gonna log out of slack really quickly here okay
0: um i thought it was mine huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we yeah we saw that change very quickly and then we saw um uh it started to change to search. A lot of readers have been coming to us, um, finding us through, um, through Google. And, uh, but then this year Google changed its algorithm and that started to change. And now lately for us, Apple news is what's driving a lot of our readers. So um, what I, I've had to get comfortable with is that you have to reassess your strategy every month almost. You know, you can't just set your strategy for 2020, say we're going to focus on this platform and then leave it. You have to really monitor the data every week. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I do look at the data every Monday morning. I, at like 4.30 in the morning, I get an email from Parsley, which is a, a data analytics that kind of shows how our pages are going and where our readers are coming from. So the very, the way I start my week is looking at the data and then reporting that up to my CEO and, you know, uh, down and across to, to my reporters and artists, so everyone kind of knows where we're at. Um, where I feel attention, which I you might be getting at too, is um, between page views and loyal readers. And with our, with our content, we can go really broad. You know, we can write stories about advertising that are going to interest anyone who likes watching commercials during the Super Bowl, for example. Yeah. Um, and we can get a lot of page views, and that looks really great. I um, uh, but, uh, but is that really serving our core reader? So that's a change, actually, we've made um, over the last year is really refocusing on who our core reader is and making sure that we're serving them making sure we're giving them information that helps them do their job better. Um, even if that means taking a bit of a hit on page views, like maybe this story isn't going to be for everybody, but it's going to be so valuable for that
0: person in this niche part of the industry. Right. So let me dig deeper on this topic because I think it's fascinating. So when you actually sitting in, in, in putting together your editorial calendar for the coming months, or let's, let's say for the next month, is what's driven driving the, your decision is the, what you see in the data or is it uh, ideas that uh, your team is coming up with based on what they see in industry?
1: Absolutely, I, it's a little bit of both. And uh, yeah, I know, which, which is like never the answer. It's like the p- politician's answer, right? <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I really believe in um, testing things. I, I really believe in creativity. I mean, because of my background, I'm a big proponent of just letting people be creative and try things. And so, um, I'll never shoot an an idea down because of because of data at the get go. It's like, let's you have an idea for this thing, let's try it, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, what I am a fan of is then following up and looking at the performance. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, we've had, you know, we've had like, say, a video series, someone created an idea for a video series, put a lot of effort into creating several episodes, never really gained traction. you got to give it time. But if over time it doesn't gain traction, you got to make the hard choice that, hey, we're probably not seeing the payoff we need. Let's think of, let's try a different, you know, kind of off the wall idea (laughs) and see if that one sticks. So as I think on the front end, let creativity drive it, but then always, you know, on the back end, um, let the data help you prioritize and decide to, what to keep moving forward with and what
0: to scrap. Yeah, that makes sense. So w- when you're actually looking at, uh, at your visual storytelling strategy for the newsroom, what would you say are the most common challenges you come across and how do you solve them?
1: I think the biggest one is time. I, as much time as writing a story takes um uh shooting and and editing a video for example, takes so much longer you know and then if you're adding an animation and all you know it's it's amazing to me how time consuming visual storytelling in particular can be, and so that's where I feel we're we're not constrained by ideas at all it's just by it's always, it always comes down to resources um One example I can give you is that uh, our podcast producer had this fantastic idea to do um, like a, a podcast pilot season where he, he put out the call to the entire newsroom and he said, if you have an idea for a podcast, pitch it. I'll record your pilot episode and then we can decide if this moves forward and becomes an ad week podcast. So everyone got really excited. Everyone had lots of ideas to pitch. He yeah. selected like five that he wanted to move forward my podcast idea was about failure. <laughs> and, and then no, everyone realized no one had the time to actually create the podcast that they had pitched. So, um, so I think, you know, there are a couple of lessons in there or ways to counter that. I mean, one is, is to prioritize. Yeah, you have to really be smart about is there a payoff for the time you're putting into something. And also is, um, if someone has a really good idea, building time into their schedule to work, work on it like a project, you know, uh, to actually freeing them up from some of the day to day to be able to execute.
0: Yeah. And let's bring up also the quality of the finished product. <laughs>
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, so um, maybe you can give us some, uh, one or two examples of success stories and, and what do you measure? What are your KPIs for success?
1: Yeah, that's those are two, two great questions. I mean, a couple examples, Um, One is an early example that I was probably, it was a few years ago, and it was the thing that made me realize we needed to bring all of our artists together and create the visual newsroom Um, was actually our, we had a a web editor who was a, like a a gift champion, which is a real thing. I didn't know this before I met her, but they have gift making competitions out there and she had won (laughs) some of these. And so she's a digital native, you know, really, you know, really understands um, the web. And she had this idea for a a magazine print cover. So we were featuring Lauren Conrad, the actress and kind of influencer um, on our cover. And uh, Lauren had filmed a gift for us on set that we were going to use to promote the story on social media. And uh, Diana McDougall, our, our web artist at the time, was like, hey, I have this idea for doing a printed gif I'm like, what is a printed gif well she actually we, we ended up doing it and what we did was print each frame of the gif on the lower right hand corner of each page of the magazine so if you flipped it almost like an old school flip book you could see the gif
0: oh wow yeah that's an and
1: <laughs> it, yeah it was such a great um yeah. visual rep- representation of this idea of bringing together print and digital and i was like yeah, we've got to change the way we do things because that cross pollination is so cool. Like, how do we have more of that? Um, another big success story for us is um, our Super Bowl war room. So I'm in the midst of Super Bowl, you yeah. know, coverage right now, yeah. and um, something that we created. Uh, with the the visual newsroom really re- leading, a big part of it is we all come together into the Ad Week newsroom on Super Bowl Sunday. We watch the game and specifically the ads together, and every single person has a job. So every single person is, you know, we've got one person who is just working on uh, filming LinkedIn Live that night. We have one person who is just. Uh, Creating real-time reviews for Twitter. You know, everyone kind of has a job, and so if you watch AdWeek's social channels in particular and our website that night, it, I mean, it looks like we have a hundred-person team, <laughs> you know, covering the Super Bowl because it's just all hands on deck. It's it's about forty or fifty people um, covering it, and so we cover it in a very dynamic and a very visual and very real-time way, and that's something I think we've only been able to do because we have this kind of you know, multimedia DNA now.
0: So so you have probably a lot of, uh, you know, news hijacking moments when you do it this way, right? Because you can actually come up with timely content as it happens.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the the, the name of the game is always like, What spotting those buzzy moments. Like, what is that part of the ad that no one noticed or no one expected? Or yeah. how are people reacting on Twitter that, that you know, how is that affecting the brand? So it's really, yeah, it's an exercise in thinking and creating on our feet. And I, I love it. Yeah. Um, you also, you asked about KPIs, um, how we measure success, which yeah. I think is really interesting. I mean, for us, the Uh, The page view is still the best we have, although I think it's a flawed metric, but it it at least lets us know, you know, how many people saw something that we created. What we've started to um, look at more is repeat visitors. Mm-hmm. so how many people you know came to say our brand vertical and then came back and how many times did they come back yeah. which i think is giving us a, a better idea of okay they saw that story but did they find it valuable enough to return
0: all sticking <laughs> once right <laughs>
1: exactly yeah exactly um so yeah the lo- loyal re- readership is is i think um gonna be a really big one for us in 2020
0: got it no i think it's yeah, it's really and do you kind of create like attribution a journeys that's you know, they clicked on this link and moved to that link.
1: Yes, yeah, we have um we have a, a someone who heads up our marketing and audience development department and she uses Lytics if you're familiar with that software, um, but really can give us a deep dive into our readership mm-hmm. in terms of you know, what is um it, and actually, we, we, ha- we have a membership model now. It's something we converted to a year and a half ago, where um, to read stories on our site, you know, you've got to let us know who you are. <laughs> and then to read everything on our site, you have to pay a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that really yeah, gives us a sense of, okay, as a reader, like, what are you showing me interested in? What are you likely to click on? And am I sure to serve, you, serve that up for you as an option when you log in? Right.
0: And by the way, just kind of to remind me, are you doing any personalization in your visual stories where people land on your website?
1: Um, in terms of like what they, what they see when they land on the website, it's actually something that we're working on right now. So at, so right now, our homepage will look the same to whoever shows up. Yeah. Um, but but that is, I think that that is the next frontier, is, is being able to personalize it. And we have a, a couple departments working on that. Um, And then I think another place where we can, you know, we can have some personalization um, is with our newsletters. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's one where we're actually, we're creating more niche newsletters. Um, So not exactly personalization, but making sure that we have like really valuable personal feeling content around these different passion points within marketing. So one of our most popular newsletters is our retail newsletter. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like the people who just really care about retail. Mm-hmm. We have a four person retail team and they each take turns writing it every week. So every week our reader gets a sense of the voice and the personality of each of the writers, mm-hmm. get to know them. Um, so that's a, that's a change that we've made in, in recent months. Um, also we're doing things like embedding quizzes
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: uh, we do a lot of interactive content on our Instagram stories where we can hear from people and then respond to them. And, um, really again, like making our content feel like a two-way communication, not a one way.
0: Do You do also a live shows like in Instagram live or LinkedIn live.
1: Yeah, we do. You know, um, speaking of how platforms have changed, you know, for a while, we did a lot of Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. And um, in the past year, I would say we've been um, testing more with LinkedIn. And yeah. we we filmed uh, some LinkedIn Lives from Cannes, mm-hmm. uh, from the Cannes Lions Festival. Um, in 2019, and we're going to be doing LinkedIn Live um, from our Super Bowl War Room. So you'll be able to um, okay. see our reporters, you know, working in real time and get their reactions. Yep. Um, and we've done a little bit with, uh, with Instagram stories, although still on Instagram, we're, we're doing more of the stories than, than the live video.
0: Got it. Got it. So w- among all the projects you're working on, what you are the most excited about?
1: Yeah, there there are um, there are a couple. I mean, in terms of, we just rolled out a, a privacy map. Is sort of what we're referring to it as. But um, in industry, you're, you're probably aware um, a lot of regulation has come out oh, yeah. um, around around you know privacy and data, um, including GDPR and uh, the CCPA, the California Privacy. Yep. Protection Act. And uh, so we, our, our journalists, both visual and, and, you know, our, our, our reporters uh, got together and created this interactive map where you can click on each state to uh-huh. see what the privacy regulations are in that state and read news stories on a state by state basis. So that's a cool project because I think it'll have a longer shelf life than a lot of the things we create.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you can even provide, you know, step-by-step process of how to <laughs> implement those regulations will be even better because I know a lot of marketers are really scratching their head, you know, what they're supposed to do.
1: <laughs> exactly. And that, um, that's another thing that I'm excited about is we're um, getting more and more involved in the education space. Yeah. So our mission internally, I think I mentioned it before, but is that we want to help our readers do their jobs better. And we're realizing there's a need for education, especially with you know things like regulation and technology changing so quickly. And so um, uh, last year, 2019, we launched the, um, the Institute for Brand Marketing. And with it, we're actually offering free classes around marketing and technology on our site. And uh, to pull it off, our visual newsroom has been working with our editors and also with university professors. So those kind of three branches have been working together to create these courses. And that's a new frontier for our visual journalists. And it's been pretty exciting.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I'm actually going to be teach a brand storytelling class later this fall. So maybe I'll reach out to you.
1: Oh, you should. You <laughs> yeah. should. I, yeah, we've been, I've been out there trying to meet more and more marketing professors yeah. um, to to bring their knowledge into our content. Yeah.
0: I'm happy, yeah. So obviously, with your amazing track record with the visual newsroom and all the exciting projects you're working on, you know, looking uh, to the future, what do you think uh, is the future of visual storytelling from your perspective? What are you seeing the major trends people should pay attention to?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. I am in some ways seeing a return to basics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say two to four years ago, There was a lot of experimentation so you were seeing brands experiment with like six second ads like how how much can we condense an ad you know and how like how can can, how quickly can we tell a story um, for people whose attention is so divided right Um, and then i think we saw you know like the new york times for example doing a lot of really visually ambitious storytelling that almost felt cinematic there's the classic um, Snowfall, if you remember that project, you know, where you almost feel like you're in a movie theater as you're reading a story. Um, and we, you know, and, and also, uh, I remember going to a, a class at the, um, uh, online news association's annual conference about telling stories through VR. And at one point we were like, oh, I think everyone's going to be just consuming news through VR headsets. Anyway, I, I feel like the pendulum's swinging the other way. And we're seeing in the Super Bowl, for example, um, most of the ads are 60-second ads, and there are even um, a few brands that bought 90-second spots. So I see you know, ads going back to sort of a longer form. Um, I'm seeing, you know, our 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 digital storytelling projects get a little more simplified. We actually find that when we do really um, immersive uh, storytelling online with pay- parallax scrolling and, and images that run across the whole browser, um, the page views on those are lower. <laughs> so wow. it's making us rethink like, okay, how complicated do people want the experience to be? Or do they just want the information? Um, so that's, that's, that's one thing. I think just kind of uh, going back to basics and along those lines, just really placing an emphasis on UX and CX. Like, what is the reader experience? What is the reader story? Like, where are they when they're reading your content? What are they thinking about? <laughs> what, are, what are their constraints? What's pulling at their attention? And really getting in their head and making sure that what we create is not just beautiful, but useful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and what do you think about paid media versus organic, you know, church and state? It sounds like from what you described is that you know, ads become more like organic content, <laughs> like cinematic experiences <laughs> and, yeah. and organic content, you know, is trying to do its best. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when those two trends are going together, it's going to be hard to distinguish, right?
1: It, I, completely. And I mean, one example is our, we have a branded content studio at Adweek that is separate um, from editorial and separate from the visual newsroom. And uh, but they're you know their their co- their content is labeled as such, but you'll find it on our homepage. It's woven in, and yeah, there are times where you know I'll click on a, one, one of our own branded content stories and not realize that it is. You know, say oh who wrote this? Oh okay, it's it's from our branded content team. Um, and like I said at the top of the show, I think it's a really positive thing that. Um, branded content creators have figured out how to create things that are really useful. And yeah. in fact, we had a branded content story. Um, it was, uh, it was a project that our team created for Facebook. Um, and it was all about how to shoot vertical video for Instagram. Yep. And it went, the story went viral. It was like one of our top stories of the year, which I had never seen happen before. So I think the the fact that it's getting to be better and better quality is only serves everybody. You know, it serves, it serves ad week because we want to be associated with quality. It serves the client. It serves the reader. Um, in terms of separation of church and state, that is still super important, I think. Um, and we're, we're very careful about that here of making sure that as we collaborate more across departments, we also don't cross those lines. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not always easy to navigate, but, um, but I think it's really important to, again, Create that trust with your reader, you know that that yeah. that what we're creating is journalistically vetted and and independent. So, um, so that that hasn't gone away.
0: Yeah, no, it's great to see, you know, because definitely we all know about banner blindness and you know <laughs> all the ad fraud and so it's great to see that we kind of moving from interruption marketing to more kind of the empowered marketing where you provide value content. It really celebrate what. Your, your audience is really after. yeah. So, so that's great to see. So just to kind of, uh, since we kind of uh, towards the end uh, of the hour here, how would you summarize the top three tips for marketers that uh, want to start telling visual stories like a media company?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I love that question. I'm, I'm gonna give you my three C's. <laughs> so, <laughs> So one is consider the reader or consider the audience. Okay. Um, Actually, uh, before I came to before I came to Adweek, um, I I taught business writing classes um, to marketers and to a lot of different professionals. And the first lesson I always taught was that was consider your audience. So when you sit down, think about kind of, as I mentioned before, what you know, who are they? You know, what do you know about them? What do they need? You know, how are they consuming your content? And really putting your ego aside. Yeah. Um, I think so often it's easy to create for ourselves, right? You know, like and, and as a writer, we fall in love with our words. Or As a visual artist, we fall, you know, we're like, oh, we have this perfect thing, and the client didn't like. It. <laughs> you know, yeah. but really, really, you know, um, creating for that person and trying to get into their head is um, is so important. And the second C is collaborate. Mm -hmm. and um and with that cross train so i i used to run track and to use a track analogy think about where in your organization Mm -hmm. the baton is passed you know where within your department is the baton passed where between departments is the baton passed And those are usually where problems arise because they're, they're your weak spots, right? Um, So figuring out ways that you can strengthen collaboration at the baton pass uh, will make a big difference. And a lot of that, like I said, involves educating each other about your jobs, if not training each other um, in your job. Um, And then the third is critique. And I was fortunate enough that I kind of came up in newsrooms before uh-huh. The digital revolution you know what i mean i i I was taught by some very old school journalists who were you know like running running like the the Chicago Tribune and the suns you know the the Sun Sentinel in Florida um in the 1970s and they were not shy about giving feedback and critique and in a way that wasn't personal, but that was just about the work
0: exactly and
1: yeah, and I, that's something I, I actually have always loved about newsrooms. There's a certain, um, you know, just everyone understands we're working quickly and we have to, the, the way to do our best is just to be honest about our work and give feedback. And so, um, like I said, making sure, you know, let that creativity flow, but don't forget to follow up by actually having the hard conversation. Was it worth the effort? Did people find value in it? Is it worth doing again?
0: Absolutely. No, these are amazing tips. I I know my audience would love because as they build their their newsrooms and try to innovate, you know, it's really hard to to fall on too many traps. Uh, So these are really uh, amazing tips. Thank you again. So just before we close, uh, if uh, anybody would like to contact you if they have any questions.
1: Absolutely. I, I would love to hear from your listeners. Um, uh, the best way is probably email. So I'm at stephanie.patterick at adweek.com. S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E dot P-A-T-E-R-I-K at adweek.com. Um, that's the best way. I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter. I have an unusual last name, so you can find me easily. I'm the only <laughs> Steph Patrick out there. <laughs> and, um please reach out to me anywhere you find me.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This is an amazing uh, conversation. I really had a lot of fun uh, chatting with you. And for all of you watching uh, on YouTube or listening, uh, stay tuned to our next episode. So until next time, stay true to your stories. Thank you. Thanks, Shlomi. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute, Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.